Welcome to episode seven of the Future Firm Accounting Podcast, the place where you can learn how to modernize and future-proof your firm. I'm your host, Ryan Lozanis, and today I'm speaking with a cloud accounting pioneer, Paul Meisner, one of the first people I've known in the cloud accounting space. Paul's based in Melbourne, Australia, and founded his firm Five Ways Group back in 2010, before cloud accounting was even a thing in North America. Paul also has an excellent podcast called From the Trenches, where he and his co-host are incredibly outspoken on fake news happening in the industry. It's one of the best accounting podcasts around, so definitely check it out. He's also a co-founder of another project called Freedom Mentoring, where he teaches others how to adopt a lifestyle firm. And recently, he was awarded Zero's 2019 Cloud Champion of the Year. Paul has also been featured in my free Future Firm Weekly Top 5 email, where I curate the top five pieces of content that help modernize your firm. To sign up, please visit www.futurefirm.co slash top five. Today, I want to talk to Paul about fake news when it comes to the trends in the profession. I'm sure he'll have lots of opinions on that. So Paul, really happy to have you here today. In fact, you might not know this, but your Five Ways Group website was one of the first modern accounting firm websites that I actually ever stumbled across. And when I started my firm in 2013, uh, I actually sent it through to my web developers to, uh, as an example, to base things off of. So uh, there you go. You might not have known that, but uh, early on, you actually had a, a pretty big uh, impact on my firm. So welcome, uh, welcome to the show today, Paul. Thank you very much, Ryan. Uh, very, very kind words. Thank you very much. Oh, geez. It's, uh, no, that's a, a wonderful uh, introduction. It, it is funny. I, I do get. Um, I, I do get that website comment quite a bit, um, and 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 luckily, uh, not like the five or so other people I've found whose web dev- developers actually just copied and pasted the code. <laughs> um, there was one that actually even copied the link to my LinkedIn profile because it was embedded in the website code. That is how much they copied the website. It was crazy. <laughs> no way. Yeah, you know, I actually had an example of that as well. Sometimes I would Google the site and I saw like, um, you know, the privacy page in the terms of service and it used, you know, my firm's URL as well in that. So uh, I definitely <laughs> had a few instances of that as well. Um, so, so first off, congrats on that, uh, award 2019 zero, uh, cloud champion of the year. Um, so what is that exactly? And when did you get this? Yeah, so this was a last couple of weeks, uh, to be honest, and, and zero have sort of played around with their, with their awards globally, um, changing the categories a little bit, but what they wanted to do here was just, it's not necessarily the fastest growing firm or, you know, the biggest, um, it was, it was actually someone who was. Uh, a business that was championing the cloud, so helping not only their firm move to the cloud, but but looking at um, championing championing it across the wider community. And certainly, you know, that's something I've done not only with um, my clients, new clients, friends, family, um, but but later uh, because my firm, I've, I've chosen really to sort of stay small. Um, I've used the podcast and online training to sort of help other accountants understand the cloud i think you know it's it's we know what it is now but but for me especially for small firms which is where my passion is there's just now too many providers and and a lot of them are you know it's causing more noise than it is creating benefit Mm -hmm. you know sometimes Mm -hmm. if you if you turned on all of these pieces of software you it would hurt your business frankly um just because you don't necessarily have the need or the capacity and and, and you've really got to understand it. So for me, it's now understanding 
the impact, but also the, the, the benefits you get from technology. And in our firm, it, people are often surprised to know that, that for a quite tech-heavy tech firm, we really have a, a relatively low number of apps that we mm-hmm. use on a, on a daily basis. I mean, it's still above, above the traditional firm, don't get me wrong, yeah. but, you know, but it's almost the um, yeah, trying to understand the app marketplace because I think Intuit has like 800, 900 um, yeah. apps and Zero's getting up there. It's, it's just, it's crazy. So, you know, helping to champion that and helping to understand the, the landscape uh, in that sense. So, yeah, look, I was, I was absolutely honoured. So it, uh, it'll be a good year. Awesome. And, and um, I noticed on your LinkedIn, so you started your firm in 2010. Did it start as a cloud firm uh, at the outset or did it morph into one or what did that look like? Started um, started uh, seriously with a, with a blank piece of paper and the, the only two things I, I wrote on that or the first two things I wrote were no timesheets because I'd just come out of traditional firms and I hated them. Um, so that was the, mm-hmm. the first thing. And, and cloud was, was the second. Um, Zero had just, like it really was, was just, didn't even have a proper footprint in Australia. Um, there was uh, Wayne Schmidt, uh, who's teamed up with me on Freedom Mentoring. He was the first yeah. head, of, uh, head of Zero in Australia. And Hamish Edwards, who was sort of almost now the, the forgotten founder. Um, Rod Drury stayed on and obviously uh, was, was the front person. But Hamish Edwards used to, used to come and tour and he was one of my early mentors. So I always wanted to, um, I always wanted to work remotely uh, more because I just didn't want to pay for an office to be serious. <laughs> I didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to save costs. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to buy a firm. I didn't want to buy a lease. I didn't want to want to do all that. I sort of just had a laptop and, and wanted to, wanted to travel around. So cloud was something that, that was, was um, embedded in it right, right from the, the start. And, and I think fixed fees, uh, was was sort of that third thing on the list, and they've always really been the cornerstones. Um, I've, I've turned lots of tech on. I've turned lots of tech off. Um, some of it works. Uh, a lot of it doesn't. You know, it, it, it's really quite uh, it's really quite interesting. But it's been a, a fantastic journey that is almost touching ten years. I, I, I it's hard to believe. Wow, crazy! It goes fast. Um, so. Being cloud was was very important for you early on, and uh, part of that was having some flexibility. And uh, I know you talk a little bit about this, and freedom mentoring is a little bit about this. It's about um, more of that running a lifestyle firm. And I know you've had a bit of a digital nomad type life as well. At, at certain, I'm not sure if you're still living that kind of life, but I know you've certainly lived it. Uh, you know, throughout those last ten years, at certain points in time, um, how did that really become a thing because you know I've so, seen on social media uh, uh, you know you'd post pictures you'd be traveling around with your whole family you'd be working while you're traveling we're not just talking about like a week or two in in, in a different destination I think you would do that for a prolonged period of time so um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this but how did this all really come about I think it, it, it's an interesting journey and you know, one that, that started in the cloud and, and I had a, a fiance when I started my firm and who's now now my wife. And, you know, it was, it started this, um, you know, build a cloud, be different, be bold, um, you know, wasn't sure whether I wanted to, to grow massively or, or, or whatever. You know, I, I think for me that the, the lifestyle portion and, and we need to be careful. I think we sometimes we use that term lifestyle to talk about, um, meaning it more in a, almost in a derogatory way about, oh, it's just a hobby. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what I've always focused yeah. on was 
was lifestyle hours but full-time income. You know, he's sort of mm-hmm. make the job, um, make what you want to earn. And then this is one thing, sort of my, my goal was always, well, I, I knew what I wanted to earn. I just wanted to do it in the least number of hours. So it kind of mm-hmm. looks lifestyle, but, but it still provides, you know, the, the full style, I suppose, um, for the family. And, and so the, the, I suppose that lifestyle in a time sense and certainly the travel, my, my wife and I have always loved to travel. Um, but, but really it was having the kids. Um, I think that was, it, it certainly had a profound impact in, in the way I saw my, my life, I guess, and, and what, what was important to me. Um, I came from grad positions where doing 60 hours a week was sort of a badge of honor and you'd, you know, you'd work mm-hmm. all night and then you'd, you'd get up and you'd do it again and you'd be the last one to send the email from before you left to prove that you were in the office as late as possible. You know, I, I, I was guilty of all of those sort of over overwork yep. tricks and, and having kids for me was you you want to spend time with them. You, know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a parent that uh, that, that comes in after their after they're in bed and, and bath and you see them for, for five minutes and then perhaps catch them on the weekend. You know, I always wanted to, to be there for them and, and was lucky enough to be able to travel. Um, the, interestingly, the first, uh, the first sort of digital nomad trip was, was two months. We went for two months with a, you know, and I can't even believe we did it. Charlotte was six months old or something. I mean, I, we were looking back, we were just crazy to attempt it. But uh, mm-hmm. it was one of the things that, that sort of my wife and I love to travel, but I actually said to her, you know, I keep banging on about this um, uh, work remotely and, and freedom, all of this. Jeez, I, I better do it. You know, I better actually do it to make sure that it works. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, and, we want, <laughs> and we wanted to do it. We sort of wanted to escape a, a winter, which qu- isn't quite as bad as the Canadian winters. Um, I'll yeah, admit, yeah, we won't I'll get into admit, that. But, uh, yeah, you 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 wear shorts and t-shirts in your winter over there, I think. So yeah, much. it's not not nearly as bad. <laughs> pretty much. But no, look, the, the, the travel the travel was really was really interesting. And and I I um I tell a great story about my my one staff member who um I came back and I sort of said, oh, you know, how, how did you go? How did you feel about me being away? You know, was it was it just like I wasn't you know wasn't there? And he actually said something that, that has stayed mm-hmm. with me for a while, which was, he said, I felt more connected to you while you were away. And it was something that, that really wow. was interesting. I'm like, how? Like, and we, we, yeah. we, we worked it out. And this has become, you know, sort of some of the content in, in freedom, but it's the consistency and the frequency with which, um, you know, small firms can meet with their staff not the geographical location mm-hmm. you know it was it was the same time yep. every day or the same times every day which just just sort of worked for the geography and you've got to find it in any geography including when you're in a, in australia or in the same office it was the fact that whatever he, whatever was going on whatever client asked him whatever issue he had he knew that between 2 p.m and 3 p.m every day i'd jump on skype i'd call him i'd ask him the same questions which are the agile manager scrum meeting questions um, tailored a little bit for professional services, but generally those sort of questions. And he just knew that he had a little he had a little list and he every time I called on the dot, he'd pull up the list, he'd go, Yep, this needs to happen, that needs to happen, that needs to happen. He'd do a download, I'd do an upload, uh, and then I'd sort of start my day and, and he'd bang out the next couple of hours. So yeah, it was it was a really um you know, it, it took me going to the other side of, of the world. Um, to really understand a key part about staff management, which I 
I was doing anyway without that consistency. I had the frequency, but but the importance of the consistency was something I, I'd never thought I'd learn by uh, by traveling. Yeah. And um, so, are you able to say, like, um, you know, you said you've done those uh, those you know sixty plus hour work weeks. Are you able to say what you're doing now uh, with regards to running your firm? Is it 20, 30, 40 hours or does it really vary? It, it varies a bit. But look, to be honest, if, if you if I took out freedom mentoring and if I took out uh, the podcast, if mm-hmm. I'm kind of doing two to two and a half days of the firm, I'd possibly be lucky between golf, yeah. family, wow, travel, lunch. <laughs> so that's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, why do you think so many other firm owners are so overworked then? Because I think what you did is you started with like the end goal. You said, okay, what, what sort of income do I want? What sort of income are you, am I happy with? And then once I hit that, maybe I just stop. Is that what other firm owners are maybe not considering? Is they're just taking on more and more and more and more and not thinking about the repercussions of that? Like, why do you think so many firm owners are just working such crazy hours? I think that that firm owners, and I've been guilty of this as well. You know, this is in no means sort of saying that I've cracked the code, and I still go through periods of it. You know, it's not nobody's uh, immune to it. But I think we, I think the work, the, the work piles up, and and it's what you value. And I think in terms of accountants, they value the. Um, they want to do everything. They want to help everyone. They say yes to every piece of work. They can't necessarily price it properly. You know, I think the upfront billing you've got it. You've got to find a way. And and you know, I, I think I've I've tried to crack the code on on unlimited tax advice and and getting sort of mm-hmm. upselling the client a bit in a, in an easy non sales way. Um, but but the thing I think that they don't value is their own time, um, and they. Don't look at, I've been very, I've tried to be very big in my career in, in really saying, why do I do this? You know, every step of every process, why do I do it? You know, what can be changed? The 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 issues around, you know, oh, that's the way we've always done it. Or, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think accountants are also afraid to say no to a client for fear that they'll never get another client again. Um, yeah. You know, we, we have to be a bit ruthless. And, and for me, it wasn't until it, it wasn't until I had had a family. It wasn't until I had kids where I'm like, you know what? No, I'm doing I'm doing bed and bath time every day. I'm I'm doing yeah. I'm doing childcare pickup um, every day because I want to see them. Um, you know, I'm not. I can go back to work after that. But you, you know, I, it was the time had a value higher than the others, and therefore I had to find a way mostly through automation um a, a little bit of saying no to fit everything in the available time and, and certainly it can be done it, it, for me it's the way you prioritize the work um people are afraid to automate i think that the the marketing and, and you know that the fake news around a lot of mm-hmm. that has has really not helped you know i mean i we would live in a very different world in accounting in my view if we talked about um digital opportunity rather than digital disruption i think the, the the negative connotations that have that have come through it the uberization of everything i mean god if i hear that one more time i'm literally going to scream um you know and endless debates about about time-based billing i mean the funny thing is there is not one per there is not one firm that bases that that bills on time they record it but if you have write-ons yeah. and write-offs you're not billing on time 
you're billing on value. So, yeah. so frankly, the next person who says time-based billing, yeah, you know, in an article should be shot because they just absolutely don't know what they're talking about. So, I mean, I, I think that if we if we understood the opportunity um, and didn't have that negative connotation around around going to the cloud, and there wasn't a lot of that. Yeah, just, you, you know, almost shame. Oh, you haven't moved to the cloud yet. It's like, hey, you know, like you got to make a decision based on your client base. you got to make a decision based on your firm and, and your requirements. And, and the benefits have got to outweigh the cost. And for everyone, that's going to happen at a different time. Um, but certainly, right. if you, if you want to... I think the greatest problem in accounting in, in terms of in people talk about fee pressure and they talk about all of that and, and working too hard, it's actually... I don't think firms have realized nearly as much automation as the industry has talked about there being. Yeah. Those of us who have chased yeah, it, so- those of us who have chased it have seen it, but everyone else is like, well, I'm still doing the same same stuff. You know, when when am I going to see some of this automation because I've got no capacity? So so we're touching on a, a a topic here that I know you're you're passionate about that's that's really talking about fake news that's happening in the profession and you really you've dedicated a podcast to this essentially so you and your co-host really I, I love the concept I love I, I love the way uh, you know you, you have your worst on ground your best on ground you talk about the best of what's happening in the profession and also the worst of what's happening in the profession and a lot of times it's really you know um, talking about um, hype right? You're, you're trying to bust hype uh, a lot of the time. So, uh, so the podcast called, uh, from the trenches, why did you decide to actually dedicate a podcast to kind of busting hype? Like why, how did this come about and and why is this important for you? It was very, I mean, it's a funny story. So David and I, we were in an office next door to each other in a co-working space and, and invariably every other day we'd be sort of one of us would be propped in the other person's doorway going, have you seen this blog and what, how bad's that? And I've God, I can't believe we're still talking about that. And, you know, this person's got no idea and that person's got no idea. And, and it was, it was David's staff member who said, you guys are hilarious. You're like an old married couple, you know, you're just, <laughs> you're just whinging. So, you know, that why is don't true. you record it? So, and we do. Look, I, I think it's, we started it to, I just felt that, accountants, especially small accounting firms, and I'm very careful to limiting it to accounting. You know, I, I don't particularly talk much about bookkeeping. Um, certainly, I have some mm-hmm. views on it, but but I don't, those views are purely from an outsider's point of view. Um, you, you know, and, I, and I'm careful not to talk about things, you know, far careful than other people, um, you know, like software developers who want to talk about the role of compliance going into the future. Um, it, mm-hmm. it really started as a a way for small firms and people, somebody put it really well to us. They said, you're the water cooler that small firms get because they don't have a water cooler. <laughs> they have no one, they have no one yep. to talk to, you know, globally, like it, it's globally, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, I guess that the, the pulse of small firms where small firms don't have other partners, other people to talk to, you know, we, People yep. say to us, yeah, that's, yeah, I was in my car, I was on the train. I'm going, yes, that's what I feel. Yes, you know, like I'm, I'm not alone in thinking that these marketing people are, are full of it. Um, yeah, the, the term fake news, I mean, it's, what a phrase, hey? <laughs> you know, it's certainly, it, mm. it's certainly taken off and I think that the, the rise of social media hasn't helped. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's a global issue in everything. Politics and, you know, accounting is, is certainly no different. But 
um, it, it it gets into this. It almost gets into this this circular mode of confirmation bias, you know, especially when so-called thought leaders who have never actually done our job want to talk about it. And they all just seem to talk themselves into it, <laughs> and it goes round and round in circles. Mm. And all of a sudden, um, that it all of a sudden come becomes true. And and you know, it's in a way, it's it's a little bit what I think's the sad thing about about the social media aspect is. Anyone can say anything, you know, there, there really is freedom, freedom of speech, but what's almost lost is the, the freedom to call it out. And, and having said that, I mean, I, I call it out, as you said, weekly on the podcast. You, you do I, call it out. Yes. A, yes. You do certainly call it out. It's a fine line. You know, I'm acute. It's funny in certain, in certain ways, in certain times, you know, you're accused of being, you know, too negative or, well, but I can say what I want. And it's like, yes, like it's, it's, it's certainly freedom of speech, but it's not freedom from having your ideas tested. Like use data. Like, oh, there's, you know, fee pressure. Well, prove it. Like we're, we're numbers people. You know, where's the data? Oh, well, there's, there's yeah. no real data. You know, there was a survey of 20 accountants done in 2012. You know, well, that proves it. What, like what the hell? Um, <laughs> it's, it's sort of we miss debate. We, I suppose, we, we misinform debate in, in in a lot of things, you know, because there's just always twenty people who jump on, you know, who are often selling the same thing or doing the same thing. So, I wanted to. It wasn't necessarily to. It, it was to be real. It was to give small yeah. business owners what I felt and what David and I felt was missing. It was the. It was the true. It was the, the good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, if 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 we like something, we say yeah. it. If we don't like something, we don't say it. You know, n- not everything, um, not everything that was being told clearly to them from a lot of people was it was marketing hype. Um, and about what about what they should yeah. do. We went through a real phase in Australia of, of this whole. You, you like you have to grow. Like growth was a word that was used more than advisory. You know, it was grow, 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 grow. And as you said earlier, like I, I haven't met an accountant that's got any capacity. You know, I haven't got anyone that says, hey, by the way, yeah. you know, have you got something for me to do in the 20 extra hours of my week that automation is like, it just doesn't happen, mm-hmm. right? And so they're just banging yeah. on yeah. them about growth. And it's like, really? Like, how about you just give them some cap- capacity first? How about you actually automate something first? And then, and then let accountants choose. Mm-hmm. I mean, people always say, you know, oh, you hate advisor. I don't hate advisor. I just need to think we need to we need <laughs> to get some capacity first. And and it's not until you get capacity, so- then you can choose what you want to do with it. If you want to do advisory with it, great. If you want to do more compliance with it, great. If you want to go play golf, spend time with your family, great. But you need the capacity first. So you're actually using the term advisory. Um, what is what is advisory anyway? Like what what is this term? Like you know, we talk about advisory, we talk about compliance. What is advisory to you? It's it's a wonderful concept because you know I don't think anyone knows, and I think it I think it's different to everyone. I, I had a term, and, and we we did it. We did an episode on this um, that we we actually tried to define the areas of advisory. I mean, the the thing for me and and the real the thing I've tried to highlight with, with the term advisory is for me, a compliance job includes data entry. It includes client query and, and, and getting the tax right. And then it includes uh, an area of what I call compliance advisory. 
I mean, advisory is just anything that, you know, kind of helps a client, right? Like there is a whole lot of advisory yeah. in a compliance job. You know, it, yeah. it's it's one in the same. I think that that when people, especially software or, or, or the media, talk about compliance, like they just limit it to data entry. It's like compliance is a lot more and includes a lot of an advisory component. I mean... So we, we, we looked it out. Um, we started with obviously that compliance advisory, which I think is, is the number one thing accountants do. You know, there is not an accountant who isn't an advisor to their clients. It might be advising on tax deductions. It might be advising on, um, you know, anything. I mean, I, I think where... I mean, to me, that that fits into the compliance type definition. Like, I think what part of the problem is nobody knows what, what, the, what the heck this is. What is advisory? What is compliance? And the whole narrative is about compliance is going away. But I don't think anyone's really even properly defined what this is. We're just using words that are different to different people. Do you agree, oh, disagree mate, with that? Mate, it, 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 we went through a real phase where, you know, the advisory was only the service that required a certain software. You know, like these uh, mm-hmm. re- reporting add-ons or um, you know, mm-hmm. they, they tended to be, uh, you know, kind of the ones that I feel pushed the, the narrative too far because, you know, if they, if they were a provider that did cash flows, you weren't doing advisory unless you were doing cash flows. Like that, that was the sort of level that they put on it. It's like, you know, it, it became this, well, you're not doing advisory if you're not using our software and it's like really like you know i i just i just think it got overused and that's why we tried to redefine it on the on the podcast into kind of looking Mm -hmm. at well are you talking about compliance advisory are you talking about sort of more the financial planning advisory are you talking about you know the business coaching advisory or are you, you talking about the strategic cash flow you know, that kind of big planning advisory, you know, they're, they're all important, but certainly it's, it's just a marketing word that, uh, that's, got, that's, that's really got out of, got out of hand because mm-hmm. you, on one hand, you've got small accounting firms sitting there going, you know, like you're trying to tell me I'm not, I don't advise my clients. Like I advise them every day. You know, you know, there's, there's, yeah. there's, as we said, really, really, um, heavy really deep areas of advice i mean clients get called every other day oh, i've got you know, cash flow problems and what can i do and not sure i'm going to make payroll mm-hmm. i'm not sure i'm gonna yeah we might not charge for it we might it might not be a particular service and, and certainly you know nine times out of ten for small firms it doesn't require software but you know we do it we do it every day uh, advisory. We certainly are, are advisors. Yeah. We just really have to learn how to charge for it because I think we give a lot of it away for free. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, so, you know, the narrative has been, and this is as long as I've, you know, had my own firm since the very beginning is that compliance is going to be dead in a year, two years, in the near future, whatever. And the way I would define compliance at a very high level would be, you know, tax return, uh, uh, financial statements, bookkeeping, for instance. So that that whole narrative has been really pushed down our throats for several years now. Why do you think that, um, first off, do you think that narrative is incorrect? And um, if so, why is compliance not dead? It's really interesting. And I, I'll, I'll actually, I can put the, the blog in the, in the show notes, but I, um, mm-hmm. 
as you know, online, I've rallied against this. Every time I get a sniff that someone's, you know, down that path, I'm, I'm on to them, challenging them, you know, like show us the data. What do you think? So I actually, being a good, being a good accountant, Ryan, that I, that I am, I went straight to an Excel spreadsheet and I tried to build something mm-hmm. um, to prove it. And, and I think the fundamental, I think the fundamental problem around where people go and, and a lot of the, I, I think the, the, the Suskisk, Suskisk book um, that everyone kind of refers <laughs> to and a lot of these, you know, big disruption studies, they, they misdefine the, or they, they assign the impact of data entry at a very um, simple level, coding bank statements, you know, somewhat coding, you know, transactions. Um, what they do is that they take the potential impact of that and say, well, that data entry is a compliance job, you know, using air quotes, which doesn't work on a podcast, but you get the picture. Um, mm-hmm. so, and yeah. what, so really interesting. So what I did was I broke down a compliance job into segments with the yeah. segments being data yeah. entry, fixing the coding, doing the, the, the sort of high level tax changes, um, minimizing the tax and then completing the financials, completing the tax return and delivering it to clients. And for each of those, I assigned a client value and I assigned an automation percentage. And it was really interesting that the, um, and a staff cost. And it was really interesting because the areas of a compliance job that are being automated were the ones that cost the firm but added no value to clients. You know, in, in, in all mm-hmm. of my nearly 10 years running fixed fee and, and that I haven't dropped the value. I haven't dropped the fee for a client. I've, I've over-serviced them. You know, I've, I've removed the inefficiencies yeah. in the job. And, and I think what, what the people, and it's, and it's always people, this whole death of compliance thing comes from people who have never done it, right? They, they just sort of say, well, isn't data entry, data entry's going. And, and you kind of break them down. You challenge them to it and you go, well, well tell me the technology that's going to hurt us. And they're like, oh, well, Zero automatically codes your bank feeds. It's like, yeah, but it like, but there is a lot of work that goes into from that to a tax return. They go, oh, but it's not really. Yeah. It's like, guys, that's that's where all the value is. You know, it, it's really interesting. So it actually automation, and this is where I come back to this digital opportunity, not digital disruption, is that you know. The automation is in areas that will save and, and, and create more profitability for the firm. And, and the figures I did, it's been a while. I mean, I will send you the, the blog links, but it was something like even if you were sort of, in my view, silly enough to give the client a, a, a discount based on the, the automation, um, you were still something like 30% more profitable um, per job and then when you redeployed all the labor, all the, the capacity that you saved into more compliance work, it was something like 200, you know, you were 200% more, more yeah. efficient and, or, or sorry, you know, more, more profitable because this is something that I never worked out. You know, I never worked out why I had, I had tried to milk every amount of automation out of, out of my compliance process, used every bit of updated software um, you know, as I sort of tell people, done everything that, that should have killed my business. Um, 
you know, but I just keep getting more clients and seem to be making <laughs> seem to be making yeah. good money in, in not much but, time, you know. But it but it was really interesting that that yeah, people just they try to say that the the small data entry that can be automated, you know, not necessarily a hundred percent, but that is all of the compliance job, and it's it's that lazy application um, by people that don't do the job that's really caused the problem. Right. Is it possible? So you're pretty outspoken about this, but is it possible you're you're wrong? And this is actually going to go away in a couple of years, where the software will be good enough to actually be able to handle the bookkeeping and be able to handle most of the you know basic tax return preparation type stuff. Like, do you think it's possible you might be wrong here? There's always a possibility, I suppose. I mean, I mm-hmm. I think that the um. It's, it's a great point. I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the blog that I wrote the other day. I, I wrote a blog for for uh, the UK about making tax digital. Um, I think the greatest mm-hmm. the greatest threat comes from comes from government. I mean, we we sort of in a way do where as where as protected from disruption as the government are disorganised. Um, if if the government changed the rules around um, deductions, if they went to a flat consumption tax and that was, you know, and that was the only tax, you know, I think our greatest threat and, and to that is, is from the government's not requiring a tax return, not from software. Um, there is some really interesting stuff. I mean, two stories I kind of say is, is one, there was a reporting add on that, uh, that told me for a client that if I wanted to double my, my net profit, I had to either sell less product or sell it for a cheaper price, um, you know, and and, and, mm-hmm. and that's where the technology. I think we we over we overestimate where the technology is. Um, I've been in and around you know zero for 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 the ten years that I've been doing it, and and I think that there, there's still things in there that, that 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 don't work, you know, that that and that can't work. Um, bank transfers between two different bank accounts, for instance. Um, we still have to mm-hmm. manually do that. <laughs> like this is this is twenty. This yep. is you know this is twenty twenty, man. Like we're we're nearly there, right? Like we're supposed yep. to have robots and hoverboards yep. by now. Like this is this should not you know, simple <laughs> things like that shouldn't be happening. So I think you know the tech hasn't progressed. I, I'm on record as saying I don't think in the last four years I haven't seen any serious automation. I haven't seen. I would I've agree. Seen a real. There's been a lot of um, backfilling, you know. Certainly in Australia, there's been a lot of catching up by by our other players. Um, you know, I think we're now getting to a point where we've just surely, surely the adoption curve has has is still is still ticking along nicely. But actually, you look at what in the last um, little while, you know, I, I haven't seen it. So certainly the technology, um, and and I think because coming back to what I said about that. Even if, and, and this my scenario I ran in that when I segmented the job, you know, even if you play with absolute 100% automation, I don't know what the tax system's like in Canada, but in Australia, it's a nightmare. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you walk, into, you, walk into, you walk into a shop and you buy a pen and I walk into a shop and I buy a pen and, you know, you, your, you use yours in your business and I take mine home for my daughter. Or whatever, 
you, you know, you, no yeah. pen, no pen can have the same, the same tax treatment. Um, and and certainly, if you were to push push a button uh, out of uh, out of the accounting system, there's not an accountant who's gone to an accounting software and really and gone, oh, you know what, this client's books, wow, they're an impeccable, they're an impeccable. You know, I don't have to do anything here. Like the stuff we mm-hmm. find in it. Every, you know, every day. The, the other thing is really interesting, and, and I, I, I tell a story. I love this story. It's, it's my Swedish robot story, um, only because it has a cool name. But <laughs> it, 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 the other thing that I think technology gets really wrong is this concept of big data and data analytics, where you are trying to learn from every single piece of data. You're not trying to learn from the right data. Now, of all the people who code transactions manually. And when, and when you talk about the robots doing it or AI doing it, it learns off somebody, right? And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to yep. learn off everybody. And, you know, I mean, I don't know whether you heard the story over there and I can't remember what country it was in, but AI was given, um, it was told to go and troll through this data and then write write a short story. And the short story turned out to be racist because it was learning from people's comments you know for me this data coding if you try to learn from everyone invariably there's enough people who get it wrong (laughs) um who who don't have that Mm -hmm. tax that the right tax treatment or the right coding and to be honest there's also no right necessarily there's no right or wrong coding whether you code something to general expenses or office expenses it's no it doesn't matter um it's that you get the the deductibility right and and some of the complex stuff. The reason I I talk about the Swedish robot story is there is a robot, uh, you know, a bot, not a robot, but a bot in Sweden that is binary. So you actually turn it, it has a learn mode and a teach mode. And what you do is you deploy it in a learn mode and Mm -hmm. you only want to learn off the, the person or the people who have the skills to code stuff properly. Then you take it, copy it, put it on graduates or outsource staff members' computers and you switch it to teach mode and it tells them what that higher trained person would do. You know, so, so that's the piece I think that's missing. If you, you, you can't, there's no way for these big, big um, software companies with all different charts of accounts and everything else to learn what is the right coding. Right. So... I want to shift gears a little bit here, Paul. Um, I know there's a few other trends that I follow, that you follow. Some of them have a little bit more hype than others. Some of them in in practice have had virtually no impact on the profession. Some of them have. Um, So things like blockchain, something I think you're not, you don't understand uh, or you don't see the use case, let's say. Uh, You talked about Uberization of the profession and how that drives you nuts and how you almost automatically put anyone in your worst on ground whenever (laughs) they talk about that. But there's also, and I was on your worst on ground for this one, uh, Paul, was the um, uh, the accounting tech startups piece that I that I wrote about. You know, startups like Botkeeper, Scalefactor, Pilot, Bench, all of these startups that are raising uh, a ton of money, quite frankly. Uh, to take on some of the more traditional players in the industry. So are there any of those that you think people should be monitoring uh, more or less than others? Like, because um, part of what I want to do here is make sure that, you know, other firms are seeing a little bit more in the future and preparing themselves for that. So are there any of those trends that you 
think could be uh, a little bit more disruptive than others? Uh, look, I think uh, we'll cover the Uberization off because I, I think this is it's it's one of the laziest analogies I reckon that is ever has ever mm-hmm. hit has ever hit accounting. It's same with I mean, a little bit similar to, uh, to Amazon, but but the Uber one particularly annoys me because accounting is a personal service. It's people do business with people, you know. Yeah. So you what can is QuickBooks up, Live doing? Yeah, so but I but I think the use of the Uberization I think though is wrong because you're trying to take a a a, a driver, <laughs> you know, you know, someone to give you get you from point A to B. You know, I, I think it's we'll get to yeah. that we'll get to the other things which which I don't think are Uber. Um, mm-hmm. the the intro the live one is, is interesting. Uber just Uber just flooded it with um, drivers. You know, I don't think yeah. there is not a not everyone with a computer can do accounting. Not everyone with a computer can do bookkeeping. You know, this, I don't think, Agreed. I don't think we have, I don't think we have the available stock of people, certainly not in the last 10 years where we've told everyone not to do accounting, uh, certainly in Australia, as, as, a, yeah. as a career. You know, I think we're going to suffer from a very, uh, a very big shortfall in people in people wanting that career, things like Botkeeper, the the Intuit Live one, I think will um will really struggle on finding the people. To be honest, I think it'll it'll be a um it will struggle to find the people who can like bookkeepers. You're bookkeepers. saying, right? Yeah, because they're quality. in full on recruitment mode. At, yeah, they're on full yeah. on recruitment mo- mode right now. Yeah, and I think for bookkeepers. Yeah, yeah, and and bookkeeping and accounting is really different. I think we we often talk about them in in a very similar light, and I think in other countries they're a little bit similar, but but certainly in Australia it's quite you know I feel like it's quite different. Not better or worse. I'm not getting into you know down that down that line, um, but but I think that I think they really struggle with finding the with finding the people. Um, and, and the and the right people, you know, I, I think certainly there's a spot for them. Um, the people who never had their books done, who never had their books done properly, you know, and and that that concept of properly is really, you know, is really grey. Just because something's coded mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's coded for tax. All that kind of stuff. It, it, I think it'll I think it'll help the shortfall. I think there's a short shortfall in people who need that help who can't get it. The bookkeepers, especially in Australia, the good ones are far too busy. You almost you almost can't can't get into them. But but largely, there's nothing you know. To I don't think accountants need to worry. You know, they shouldn't even be looking three to five years in the future. You know, what will happen with mm-hmm. Botkeeper is let's see it. You know, let's let's see it. There's largely nothing. You know, I don't feel even as a a tech savvy accountant, just just run the best firm, just just make the most money in the, in the least amount of time, and build a strong build a strong relationship with your client. You know, we are a, we are a professional a professional service, and and when the tech can when the tech can do some of the heavy lifting that it says, this is why, and this is why a lot of these get in the worst on ground, is more for the is more for the early hype that's associated with these, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like, um, you know, somebody's launched the first ever trial of a drug and already you're, you're talking about it curing cancer, you know, like actually can mm-hmm. we just see some evidence first? 
you know, all these ones where it raised money. Who cares? Like, you know, show us a product that works. Show us something that works with live data. Show us a person. Show us a person that likes it who isn't otherwise on the payroll. Um, you know, I, I think this this concept that, that accounting firms, especially small accounting firms, need to keep this eye over the fence and there's an impending Mack truck of doom that's going to come. It's like, you know what? There's For me, there's better things There's better things to look at. You know what? You know what, Paul? I agree with you. Um, but also keep in mind that you're already a pretty modern firm, right? So like... And I'm sure there's a lot of firms that you deal with that are not online, that are paper-based, that, you know, manage everything 100% through an office with timesheets. And like, you know, now they're looking at clients leaving them for some of the more modern firms out there. They're losing some of their staff for some of the more modern firms out there that don't have the timesheets, that have a more remote model, that are a lot more flexible. So like, doesn't it pay to kind of sometimes understand what's happening and, and maybe not fully buy into, you know, you know, bot keeper is going to overtake your firm or, you know, uh, the profession is going to be Uberized completely in a year from now, you're going to have to do something right now. But like, don't you have to start like maybe thinking about what you might do if those kinds of things actually do pan out in the nearest future? Like, what's your thoughts there? I mean, I've lost clients to, to more, to more progressive, to bigger, to smaller. You know, I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I honestly feel that it is such a strong personal relationship that you can, yeah, you can go for some tech, but at the end of the day, the, the client the client values that picking up the phone and being able to talk to you. Now, not every accountant can talk, can talk to people. That's the other problem. But, you know, the, the tech alone won't necessarily do it. I, I think we, we know in, in Australia, we've got really good, adoption rates of cloud software. So I think we're probably less of an issue here. Um, and, and if we if we go back in the last 10 years of, of, of cloud accounting in Australia, you know, I, I think we would say that um, the, the clients dragged a lot of those accountants into the cloud. Now, the two issues you touched mm-hmm. on, which were interesting, were whether or not a firm is in the cloud is entirely different to whether or not its clients are, you know, I don't believe in client yep. portals. I think they're a waste of time. You know, I had the first accounting Agreed. firm app in, in the Southern hemisphere, waste of time. Clients didn't want to want to know about it. I liked it, but clients mm-hmm. didn't care. Right. Cause they pick mm-hmm. up the phone. They send you an email. They just want you to get back to them. I, I, I mean, I've gone through portals. I've turned them on and off. Right. Like, all the work and all the effort and go, oh, clients, you know, here's your login and here's a portal and here's where you do everything. And they go, I'll just call you, man. Like, (laughs) and that's some of the younger clients obviously get better at that, but you know, still some of them become, you know, used to just being given the answer rather than I'm not going to go do it. You know, you should, you should give it, you should give it to me. Um, You know, I I think these, I think these evolve. It's another interesting thing where people say our accountants can't change. You know, I think we deal with, with the changing tax landscape every, every day. Um, You know, and I think they will flow. They'll flow slower than, they'll flow slower than their clients. Um, And a lot of firms could, I reckon, could actually do something, could, could, could do with thinning out the client list a bit, um, creating some capacity 
getting some breathing room and then uh, and then working it out. So uh, I'd like to see a lot of these, uh, you know, these bot keepers and these kind of things do something. Um, I've seen a lot in my time. I've seen a lot of of high growth firms. I mean, we've had there were two or three that have gone into liquidation trying to be these tech savvy, amazing firms. Um, you know that scaling's hard. Getting the getting the people is hard. Um, you know, yep. actually making this. What's yep. easy is the hype. What's easy is saying you're going to do something. What's easy is buying into the zeitgeist of whatever buzzword is out there. What's actually hard is doing organic growth scaling without without breaking. So uh, I, I think I need to see a lot more. And, and, and if I can't see it as a really progressive firm, someone, and, and that probably is where I feel like I have a bit more of an understanding. And you would too. I mean, you use the tech. Is saying, well, you know, if it's not necessarily a threat to me, it's not necessarily a threat to other people because I'm not, I'm not taking on, you know, I'm not absolutely smashing clients away from traditional firms. Traditional firms are still, are still really strong. And I think they will, they will change and they are changed. Having said that blockchain, absolutely no relevance to anyone. I, none. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot see it. And, and I've always admired because I think you were the first one, the first accountant I ever know to be have your. Uh, you could they could pay their clients could pay their fees in 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 Bitcoin. Now Bitcoin is different to blockchain. I get it. More, more of a more of a marketing play. More of a marketing play. And that's how I kind of got into it. And I, I do really like the technology now. How and when it's actually going to be applicable, that's another question. I've written a few pieces on it. But at the end of the day, I see the parallels between blockchain as a technology and what we do in accounting, you know, and how that's going to be, um, you know, how we're going to uh, actually, uh, how those two are going to fit together down the road is a different story. But blockchain is a ledger uh, with transactions recorded on it, with those transactions being verified. Now, how how an accountant or an auditor is actually going to use that, especially to automate something? I've written a few pieces on it, but again, it's very theoretical, a, right? So nothing has happened it. in practice. Now, a lot is made of the word, you mm-hmm. know, ledger and verified. You know, and I think those those are sort of the keywords, especially yep. the, the people who don't understand it, kind of go, "Oh, well, it's a ledger and it's verified. You're out of a job." Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. To me, a bank feed mm-hmm. or a bank statement is a verified ledger between two people that a transaction happened. Now, I know you can go beyond to goods and services, but if if a bank feed that is partly coded can't make a serious dent in the accounting industry, you know, to me, it's mm-hmm. the same process. You know, there's nothing in that block. Something happened. Well, it's it's just a contract. Like we've got a contract. We've got a verified something that something happened. What you don't have is what you don't have verified is, and this is the auditor piece, is that someone's blockchain number or key actually relates to that person, and they don't have another key, or that if somebody wrote twenty red sneakers on the blockchain, that actually twenty red sneakers rocked up. You know what I mean? Like that, you can put anything on it. Well, there, there, there will always be a place for an auditor. No matter what happens, there will always be a place for an auditor. But I think a lot of that tying and checking, um, I think a lot of that could eventually go away. But I still don't think we're anywhere. I, I don't. I don't think we're. 
you know, this is not happening in the next year or two. Um, you know, that the word blockchain has been thrown around a lot for the last few years as if it's going to completely replace auditors, for instance. Um, that will never happen, in my opinion. Um, and it's certainly yeah, not happening it, in the next year yeah. or two. And, and I, I totally agree. I don't think it's going to happen in the next 50, but it'll, but it'll be interesting. But I, I mean, a lot is, a lot is made of, of, of looking too far forward. You know, I think as in my firm, I've only looked at what I can use now. I've looked at the latest thing I can use, but I mm -hmm. haven't concerned myself with what I might use in the future. You know, it, it is okay. it, because good, good, I've, good tips. I've been focused on creating efficiency, making more money in less time. I can't use something that's a blog. I can't use something that's a theory. And, and, you know, you've, you've got to use a product as it is now. There's a little bit of, well, okay, some of it's coming, but, you, you know, you've really got to make your decision based on now. And and I think worrying about uh, an, an existential threat or even a part threat sometime in the future without actually seeing it is, is to me, wasted energy. You know, there's there's a lot more bang for buck in just, in just fixing the firm now. Um making a lot of money now uh, and and uh, get to get to early retirement mm -hmm. as quick as possible go play some golf man yeah you're you're a big golf fan eh paul love it love it <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to hit around uh one day paul we've not actually we've known each other for many years now but we've never met so uh and you were mentioning just before uh just before we hit record that you uh that you actually have a few ties to canada i think you have uh uh, you said you had a property in uh, British Columbia or something like that. Yeah, property out in the Big White Ski Resort. Kind of get get there every uh, every two or so years, um, and and I mm -hmm. curl out of the Richmond Curling Club in uh, in Vancouver. So I love I love Vancouver. If I if I didn't yeah. live in Melbourne, I would uh, I would live in Vancouver. I know you're on the other side, but uh, you'll have to make it to Montreal one day, Paul. I will one day. I will. It's a long way across, not uh, not dissimilar yes. to, to Australia. I mean, and this is the beauty, and this is one of the things about cloud accounting. Um, it, it's the relationships and social media, the relationships that you can have and the people you can learn off um, around the world. You know, you know that's been one of the most um, strongest things I think about the, about the accounting industry. You and I uh, communicate on, on these topics and, and have a great time. Um, you know, debating these ideas, and I and I think that's something that that's something that accountants, if accountants want to learn about the future, you know, learn from people that have done it. Don't read blogs. Mm -hmm. Don't read the hype. Just go and find someone who who uses it, who does it, who you know it believes in it, but from a point of knowledge, not a point of marketing or sales, and and ask them. You know that that's that's the strongest area I think. Of, of accounting firms and again one of the reasons i started the podcast you know is is yeah a, a valid view from people who who actually use it not just sell it yeah and that certainly comes across in a lot of your posts and your blogs and the content you put out and it's really good content i always make sure i'm listening to the podcast checking out some of your blogs as well so i'm always uh seeing what you're up to um we're just coming up on the time here paul uh hopefully this podcast does not make it to your worst on ground <laughs> And uh, it will, but probably for David, and, uh, mate. But David, David nominates me more than it, more than anything. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
why don't why don't you just let everyone know uh, kind of what's next for you and uh, how people could uh, can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm on uh, LinkedIn's probably the best for me, Paul Meissner. Um, follow my my rants. I am on on Twitter too. I often get stuck into some <laughs> interesting. It's like you know what do they say? LinkedIn's for professionals and uh, and, and Twitter's just for war. Um, <laughs> it does get out out of hand. Uh, at Paul Meissner underscore uh, on Twitter. So those are those are the two. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I love talking about this stuff. You know, and I, I love, I love helping small firms understand it, break through the noise, and, and and more importantly, I just I try to only talk about things I've done that I've had experience in or or have you know, looked into the data on. Um, the rest is just hype. Don't want to feed into that. We just just talk about what's what's actually happening. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Paul, it's always a pleasure. Uh, Thanks a lot for your time today. Really appreciate it. And uh, we will certainly chat soon. Thank you very much.